Hello, welcome to the Reversing Diabetes with Delane MD podcast. This is episode number 169. I took a run at it just a moment ago, uh, had to stop it um, so that I could get everything that needed to be done. So hopefully I can delete that um, off the YouTube. If not, you get all of it, right? Because this is how it's happening now. I'm doing all of the podcasts live and there's no editing and it's just such an adventure. Last week, I had a learning experience as I did not hit record. So I had to pull the podcast from YouTube and go through all of these steps to get it to where I could take the audio and upload it to the um, the web or the uh, podcasting app. So it's all learning. It's so much fun. So anyway, doing it this new way kind of has its glitches and everybody gets to see them. And I hope you're all patient with me about it. So we are going to talk about food labels today. If you are new to this podcast, I'm your host, Dr. Delaine Vaughn. I'm a board certified family medicine doctor and a certified life and weight coach. I use those two skill sets to help people reverse type two diabetes and learn how to live naturally healthy lives. If that's what you're interested in, you are in the right place. I want to let everybody know there is an upcoming, I'm right in the middle of a five day free session. So it's so interesting. These, this group of women have been so interactive and so much fun to work with. And I'm like having so much fun interacting with them and emailing with them and, you know, answering their questions. But I'm realizing I can't remember when I actually told you all I was going to put this podcast out. So I'm like, did I say it was going to come out at four o'clock? Did I say five o'clock? Did I say six o'clock? I really honestly like can't remember. So we're going live and I apologize if you were expecting it at one time or at a different time, but um, you can always catch the podcasts on the podcast apps and you can always listen to it on the replay. But in addition to the five-day uh, free seminar that I have for women, I am having a single evening webinar for men. So if you are a gentleman and you've been listening to this, or you're a gentleman and you've reached out to me before and wanted to do the five-day free seminars, um, I usually don't allow men into those groups. And I always jokingly say, you know, girls don't want to talk about their periods in front of men and men don't want to hear about them. So that's kind of why I do these things separately. But a lot of gentlemen reach out to me on a regular basis and they're getting so much help from these podcasts. So I want to, one, have an opportunity to go through kind of the strategies that I teach. So I'll go through some basic education on the three strategies that I teach during that men's group. And then I'll also offer coaching for anybody who wants it. So Monday, October 24th, 6 p.m. Central Time to 7.30 p.m. Central Time. If you are interested in getting signed up, you can always send me an email, delane at delanemd.com. You can go to my website, delanemd.com, and you can go under the events tab. Don't hit on the, there's a want to know more section about uh, learning the basics. Don't go to that part because that tries to sign you up for me. And I've tried to fix this and I know I need to probably hire out some help to get that fixed because I'm not able to get it done. Go to the events tab and you can usually find the um, men's group under there. For some reason, you can't send me an email. Delane at DelaneMD.com. Follow me on Facebook. Follow me on Instagram. Subscribe on YouTube. On Facebook and Instagram, you can always send me a message. I'm happy to answer any questions or to get you registered that way. 
Lastly, if you ever have any questions, if you're not sure how to do something, if you're worried something's dangerous, and if you're on meds, that's a true worry, please send me an email, Delane at DelaneMD.com. I'm happy to answer any questions to guide you as much as I can. Usually if we're talking about meds, I am going to tell you to call your primary care doctor, your primary care provider, and talk to them about coming off your meds. And of course, that caveat's always, you know, if your doc isn't interested in you coming off of meds, it's probably time to find a different doc. So... Um, but if you have any questions, don't feel like you're hanging out there in the wind alone. Call, send me a message, Delane at DelaneMD.com. I always respond. If I don't respond, it's because it got lost in the mix. Send it again. Um, or sometimes it's a few days later, so be patient with it, okay? Um, but I don't want you to feel like you're out there alone. And that's what these groups are for. That's what the five-day sessions are for. That's what the men's group is for. Today, we are talking about food labels and how to read food labels. Somebody asked me, you know, hey, this is probably a good piece of information that everybody needs to hear. I am going to go through the basics of food labels as far as um, macronutrient counting on there, but then I'm going to also go through the different pitfalls on the ingredient list. I would offer that the ingredient list is as important, if not more important, than the basic macronutrient information that you're going to get on a food label. So the basic macronutrients that you look at on a food label are going to be your fat, your carbs, and your protein. You are going to need to know the quantity of what you are eating to accurately calculate these macronutrients. So if you're reading a food label and it says in a quarter of a cup of peanuts, there are seven grams of protein. I'm kind of trying to remember what those are. I don't know. These are not accurate numbers. But if you're saying that in a quarter of a cup of peanuts, there are seven grams of carbs and maybe there's 10 grams of protein and maybe there's 10 grams of fat, but you're eating a half a cup or three quarters of a cup, you're going to need to do some math with that. Okay. So seven grams of carbs become 14 or 21, right? 10 grams of fat become 20 or 30. Protein, instead of being 10 grams for a quarter cup, you're going to be 20 grams at a half cup and then 30 grams at a three quarters cup. So recognize the quantity of how much you eat is relevant for counting the appropriate and the accurate number of carbohydrates specifically that you're looking at. But if you are trying to get to a protein goal or a fat goal, you're going to need to accurately um, calculate those numbers based on the quantity that you're eating. Okay. Recognize there is the option of doing net carbs versus total carbs. My experience is you don't gain a lot from doing net carbs. So net carbs is the total carbohydrate count minus the dietary fiber. My experience is that to normalize your blood sugars, you have to, instead of have five, or I'm sorry, 50 grams of total carbohydrates in a day, you have to drop that to 20 or 25 or maybe even 30, but you have to drop that carbohydrate count down when you're only using net carbs. So I feel like it's just added math. I don't know that there's any benefit to doing it that way. Some people really love it and that's fine. There's no problem with it either. I just think it complicates things. So um, making sure that you're uh, calculating that carbohydrate count, I would offer that the calculation of the carbohydrate count is probably the most important um, calculation to normalizing your insulin, like normalizing your blood sugars and normalizing your insulin, but do understand the more protein and fat that you get in your diet. There's sometimes we have to do some adjustments there. Fat is going to make you feel satisfied. So do not skimp on it. Now I'm not saying eat all the bacon fat under the sun. I'm not saying to go and get the fattiest cut of beef you can and eat it because it's super fatty. There can be issues with that. That is not 
I'm not saying it's free for all on bacon grease. Don't go to your doctor and say, but this doctor on the internet said it was a free for all on bacon grease. I did not say that. The fat that is that has the most beneficial evidence, like the fat that has the best evidence behind it is going to be your olive oil. Okay. So any questions, stick with the olive oil. Okay. Butter is not the devil, but I would offer that things like canola oil, vegetable oil, and corn oil are not good oil sources. They are very inflammatory and it makes a lot of sense. We do a lot of science to corn to make it oily and then collect it in a bottle so that we can cook with it. Okay. Corn is not a naturally oily substance. So anything, vegetable oil is almost always corn oil or some combination of that. Um, canola oil is corn oil. These things are not natural oils. We have to do a lot of chemistry to get that oil out of corn. Stay away from it. That is not where you need to be. Olive oil is going to be the best source that you um, can use. And again, the more fat that you put in your food, the more satisfied you're going to be with that food. Not, I mean, yes, it tastes good. That is real, but also fat digests more slowly. So allowing that to digest slowly means that it stays in your stomach longer. You're going to be more satisfied. You're going to be satisfied for longer. Okay. So carbohydrates we need to bring in. And again, I'm not, I don't want people to necessarily bring in carbohydrates in the form of, I'm not going to eat celery. I'm not going to eat vegetable, but vegetables are very healthy and our vegetables have a lot of other nutrients that are never listed on these nutritional labels. Things like polyphenols, things like, um, phytochemicals, these micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, all of that comes in on our vegetables. So when I say cut carbohydrates, I'm always talking about bread, pastas, rice, crackers, any candies, those kinds of things are what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about whole vegetables. Those are healthy. Potatoes are an exception. Please do not eat a lot of those as you are reversing your insulin resistance. It will take longer. It will slow you down. So, um, Carbs and fats, how many carbs I've talked about, I recommend getting around 50 carbs a day. Um, how many fats, that's going to really be dependent on how you feel with it. I usually tell people to shoot for about 100 grams of fat per day, okay? How much protein, that is a weight-based calculation. You're going to want somewhere between 1 and 1 1.6 grams per kilogram. So you take your weight in pounds and you divide it by 2.2 to get kilograms. And then you multiply that by at least one. And then if you want to get to that 1.6 mark, you multiply those kilograms by 1.6. So for a 122 pound person, I'm trying to do the math off the top of my head. Um, they're going to come out to be right at about 60 132 pound human will come out to be about 60 kilograms. So if you take 132, divide it by 2.2, you're going to come up with 60. Then you take 60 by one, take 60, multiply it by one, you're going to get about 60 grams of protein. If you want to do that 1.6 mark, then you're going to end up with around 96. So closer to hundred grams of protein. My experience is I have a really hard time getting that much protein in my diet. I try to, because I'm trying to put on muscle, but it is not, it's not easy. So that takes a whole different Rubik's cube to it. Okay. So it's a whole different puzzle to try to figure out that component to fix your type two diabetes. You need to limit your carbs. 
do recognize if you're going a free for all and getting like 120 or 150 grams of car or grams of protein in your diet each day, there is a threshold in human beings where they get to a certain number of protein grams. And then the liver starts to turn that into glucose, immediately turn that into glucose. So you have to be careful if you're really going free for all, because we don't tolerate being hungry and that's a thing, right? Like we want to figure out how to mitigate that as much as we can. And that's fine. I would recommend doing it with fat because if you're overeating those proteins, those proteins are going to be turned in or have the possibility of being turned into glucose by your liver. And then of course, raising your blood sugar that way. So that is the basic macronutrients that you're going to look at on a nutritional label. Now I want to talk for a little bit about critiquing the ingredients label. What are you wanting to look for? What are you wanting to avoid? Simplest, and you guys know I try to keep this really simple. Eat things that come from the trees. Eat things that come from the ground. You should be able to pluck this from the ground, put it on your plate and eat it, right? The reason that it is so important to have food in that form is because then we avoid all these non-food substances, non-food additives that the food manufacturers put into our food that kind of wreak havoc on our body, whether it be actually directly stimulating insulin production. And remember what we're trying to fix here with type two diabetes is not necessarily your blood sugars, although we do fix them. The fix for your blood sugars being high is to normalize your insulin function and your insulin levels. So if you're eating things that may not cause your blood sugars to go up, but cause that insulin level to go up, you are sabotaging your efforts. Okay. So watching your food labels for these things. So, um, artificial sweeteners, many of you have heard me talk about these. I have had somewhat of a shift over the last year on how I look at these. Um, I'm going to go through them. I'm going to talk a little bit about that shift. So artificial sweeteners, there's a very long list. So it's anything with Acaride, saccharide, disaccharide, those kinds of things. You're going to watch out, want to watch out for those because those are frequently sugars. Any what we call polyols, O L S, these are alcohol sugars, things like erythritol and sorbitol and xylitol and lactitol. And it used to be mannitol, although I don't know that mannitol is actually used in food production anymore. It is a medication that we use. There's maltotritol. There's all sorts of these, these polyglycitol. There's all of these alls, these polyols, and they are alcohol sugars and they are meant to be sweet with limited calories. Okay. You have the things like saccharin and asulfame potassium or ACE-K aspartame, or if you say aspartame, I don't know. I've it said both ways. I kind of like aspartame better because it's kind of fun to say, but whatever. Sucralose, stevia, all of these things are artificial sweeteners. Stevia is a natural one, so is monk fruit. So they tend to be less egregious, but recognize they're still feeding this desire for sweetness that we have. And this desire for sweetness has really created this disease of type 2 diabetes in our body. So it's kind of um, something to be cognizant of. These artificial sweeteners, whether they be the um, alcohol sugars, they're the sugar alcohols, or whether they be the saccharin and ACE-K and the aspartame, those sugars frequently, there's lots of evidence out there that these knock out our, our gut microbiome. So those, you know, I did a podcast a few weeks ago about the human microbiome. 
And there are these bacteria that live in our gut and they're very, very healthy for us. And they're supposed to be there. And when we feed them these chemicals, those chemicals kill them. Okay. So these are things that we really need to avoid recognizing that gut microbiome has a very strong metabolic role in the human being. It plays, it does metabolism. It does glycemic control. It does insulin resistance. When we perturb or damage this microbiome, our insulin resistance actually increases. Okay. In addition to what these artificial sweeteners do to our insulin resistance, there is also a response. It's called the cephalic pancreatic insulin response, the CPIR. This is got mixed evidence. I'll be straight. I mean, I'll be straightforward about that mixed evidence, but there is evidence out there that in some human beings, and I've got a theory on this in some human beings, when you taste something sweet, you get this cephalic pancreatic insulin response. So you taste something sweet and a message goes to the cephalic, i.e. the brain, the head, and then it causes the pancreas to spit out an insulin response, cephalic pancreatic insulin response. Okay. And this makes tons of sense to me because in nature, human beings only come into contact with something sweet on their tongue when it's fruit or honey or something that has a high carb load. So it makes sense to me that you would have this taste and your taste buds would send a message to the cephalic, to the brain and say, Hey, there's something carby coming you better tell the pancreas to turn on some insulin. And that sends a message down to the pancreas and the pancreas says, hey, it's time to put out insulin because there's a sweet thing coming. We better prep for it, okay? The other reason that this makes a lot of sense to me is because in patients who have what we call pancreatitis, so an inflammation of the pancreas, this is an acute condition and it can be a deadly condition. For those individuals, we actually don't allow in the hospital, we don't allow food to even come in their room because the smell of that food sets off these enzymes, which is not insulin that's usually causing the problem, but it's other enzymes made by the pancreas. The smell alone sets these enzymes off in the pancreas and makes that pancreatitis worse. Okay. So this makes sense to me for a lot of reasons. Okay. So avoiding these artificial sweeteners is important. Um, I will tell you the shift that I've kind of had, you know, I used to be really hell bent on no artificial sweeteners and my clients would come to me and I'd be like, I want to do it. You can, I, I always tell them, I mean, I'll tell you the science behind it. You can do whatever you want. We're all grown ass women. We can do whatever we want, but this is a science. So if you want that science component. So what I used to do is I wouldn't have any sweet drinks. Like I wouldn't have any diet Cokes, right? Like I'd go to a ball game and everybody'd be drinking soda. What I would do instead was I would have a glass of wine or I would have um, like seltzer water with a little bit of tequila and lime and um, salt on the top. It was like a, a, a margarita of sorts, right? I would have those drinks. So what I realized about that, about that switch, that trade-off, I was still having something and enjoying it with everybody, which was an option to totally not do that too. But alcohol also kills off that gut microbiome, right? Like it makes sense. Literally alcohol is what's in hand sanitizer. We literally depend on it to kill off bacteria. So in my brain, it makes sense to me that if I'm going to, they're both damaging that gut microbiome. So I've made some, I've like really kind of, oh, softened my hard 
line against those artificial sweeteners. I would still offer to you, just like you don't want to have alcohol bathing your gut microbiome all day long, and also you don't want the effect on your brain of alcohol all day long, recognize like it's still something that needs to be limited, right? We should not be drinking diet Cokes the way I used to. And if you've never seen the pictures on Instagram, on social media, where I show like the pictures of the ridiculous amount of diet Coke that I used to drink, please go find them. I'll try to repost them because they're hysterical. I'll actually try to put it up with this um, podcast, but it's not a free for all on those uh, artificial sweeteners any more than it's free for all on alcohol. They're probably both as detrimental to your gut microbiome and probably both need to be limited pretty frequently or pretty um, heavily. So that is the first thing that I always look for is this artificial sweetener component because it will drive the insulin level up and that's what we are trying to fix. So the other things to look at emulsifiers, they are big offenders. Emulsifiers are put in food so that we like the texture on our tongue. We like the um, smoothness or maybe it's like, it's what makes butteriness in our tongue, right? Like that's a taste with the creaminess, with the smoothness of what we call butter, right? Emulsifiers are also added frequently to shelf-stabilized foods, okay? So these are things like leches thins. So this is like a soybean leches thin or a sunflower leches thin or a canola leches thin. Those are some examples. I've seen all sorts of leches thins. If I see that word, it's L-E-C-H- I-T-H-I-N-S, I think is how it's spelled. If I see that word, I just stay away from it. Um, polysorbates and then mono and diglycerides are some other emulsifiers. Again, these are pretty um, toxic to the gut microbiome. Another emulsifier is the sodium steroid lactylate. It's SSL. Um, so here's the deal, guys. There's nothing about polysorbate monoglyceride, diglyceride, or sodium lactylate that looks like food. Those are all clearly chemicals. Sorbitol, xylitol, mannitol, all of those are clearly chemicals. These are not real food, okay? So that's kind of the overarching concept for evaluating and critiquing an ingredient list. If they do not look like real food, that probably needs to be nothing that you're putting in your mouth. That's not real food. It's not food for the human. That's science. It's what I call frankenfood. Lastly, I do want to touch base on maltodextrin. So maltodextrin is a polysaccharide, kind of like the the uh, disaccharides that I mentioned earlier. It's a monosaccharide. It's used in food. It's produced by vegetable starch. Starches, they use um, partial hydrolysis to make it. And they make it into a powder. It's easily digested and it's absorbed rapidly into the gut as glucose. It's broken down very quickly and absorbed very quickly as glucose, which means it raises your blood sugars. Okay. So, It can be sweet, moderately sweet, or it can have absolutely no flavor. My understanding of what this does is it goes down into your intestines. So your first part of your intestines have nerves that come from the brain and they bind up the macronutrient particles to send a message to your brain that we've got this food. And then those food particles do what the food particles do. So if you remember glucose binds the mu receptors in the brain and sets up dopamine responses. 
so that you want it more. Again, you want it more and you want more and you want more, right? That's why, you know, we're like, oh, I'm going to have a little bit of Halloween candy because I'm so stressed. Well, if the Halloween candy fixed the stress, one piece of Halloween candy would do it. But you and I both know we're a half bag through before we're sick to our stomach because it turns out that the candy doesn't fix the stress. The thing that gets us hung up believing that it does is this release of dopamine into our brain. Okay. So this dopamine release into our brain makes us want to eat it again and eat it again and eat it again. So they put this flavorless, maybe moderately sweet powder into your foods to bind up that neuron in the gut and send a message to your brain to start releasing this dopamine. So you'll want to eat it again and again and again. I have found maltodextrin in all sorts of foods. The most egregious of it was some pre-cooked chicken that would like go on a salad. I got it at one of the big stores. I'm not naming names. I got it at one of the big stores and I got it in bulk because I was like, heck yeah, it's chicken. It's already cooked. I can just throw this in my lunch bag and I've got food. Maltodextrin was in there. So being very careful about where some of these um, additives, these non-food additives are showing up. I would highly recommend you start reading the food labels of the food that you're eating, not just looking at the macronutrients on the grid. Okay. I hope this has been helpful. Um, this, uh, topic of food labels is, I mean, this is really me scratching the surface. This goes so much deeper. There's, I mean, everything from carrageenan and, uh, uh, what is it? Xanthan gum, guar gum, all of those things. Guys, if you don't know what this is, if you don't know what these ingredients are on your ingredients label, do not eat that food. It's not real food. They've put something in it and it adulterates the food that nature made for us. Don't eat that food. It's not real food. If you have any questions, if you find something on your ingredient list and you want to tell me about it, please do send me a message, Delane at DelaneMD.com. I want to hear it. If you have any questions about reading labels, if you have any questions about whether something's okay, everybody asks, and I'll just answer it right now because I know it's going to come up, stevia and monk fruit, are they okay? There is less of the cephalic pancreatic insulin response with both of those, but I would offer that if you're jonesing for monk fruit, sweetener in your coffee or your tea, or stevia in your coffee or your tea, the jonesing alone is an issue. Do you want to constantly be driven and called by this food? If you like that, then recognize that's what you're going to have, even if there's not any insulin issue or blood sugar issue with those sweeteners. Another sweetener is inulin, which I have had to search really hard and long to find information about, and I've not found a ton of information. It's made from the chicory root, I believe is what it's called, but it is a sweetener and it does have a lot of benefits to the gut microbiome. So it's something that maybe is going to be good for us. But again, like I have it in a tea, I have a tea, um, by a certain tea maker. It's the Republic of tea. I love it. They have this peppermint bark tea. They serve it and they, they sell it in the fall and throughout the winter it's delicious. And it totally has inulin in it. And my brain craves for it a lot. My brain wants it. Let's get more. Let's get more. Let's get more. And that's that addiction to sweetness that we have. So if you're really fighting for your stevia or your monk fruit or whatever it is, recognize you're fighting for it because you have the still addictive pathway that's getting triggered every time you're having that sweetness. So any questions about, can I have this? Send me a message, Delane at DelaneMD.com. Follow me on Facebook, follow me on Instagram, subscribe on YouTube so you can get the podcast as soon as it comes out. I hope this was helpful. I will be back next week. Bye-bye.